So, so uh, with me here at Wilton this morning, we have uh, John and Tony and Keith and Paul and joining us so far on Zoom, we have uh, Doug and Cynthia. And I kind of gave some indication with us Thursday night about what this morning and the afternoon talk would kind of look like. And for, for Paul and Doug, who were at Shady Brook some months back for, for the, uh, the Zen Jazz talk I gave there, this is kind of a continuation of that theme. Uh, it finds its way into talks of mine from time to time. And this morning, it's going to find its way pretty prominently. And this was driven uh, by just a couple of days ago when the June issue of Downbeat Magazine shows up in my mailbox. And one of the articles in here is... Uh, Kenny Werner, who, yeah, and Keith will remember uh, seeing him. He was at Bop Stop playing with one of our uh, uh, top jazz, local jazz musicians, Bobby Salvaggio, uh, who's the director of jazz studies at Kent State. And uh, the rhythm section that, uh, that Bobby kind of has is his normal backing unit. And Kenny and Bobby have played uh, together before. But, uh, and Kenny Werner actually, uh, back when I was acting as a jazz impresario of sorts, putting, <laughs> working with my, my good buddy, Carmen Castaldi, a local drummer, who, who knew the musicians and I could get the spaces <laughs> and get some marketing done. Uh, he actually, uh, because Kenny Werner has uh, a local connection here by way of his wife. His wife is actually from Cleveland. So there was a time way back that he was contemplating uh, possibly relocating here because of that. Uh, but that, helps get him here from time to time. Uh, so uh, Carmen kind of greased those wheels to, to get him uh, lined up to come here. And uh, most of my gigs were at the Cleveland Buddhist Temple. But since Kenny's a pianist, uh, that wasn't going to work. We needed a place with a nice Steinway. The Unitarian Church out in Rocky River, West Shore Unitarian, fit the bill. And unbeknownst to me, the minister there, who was kind of a friend of mine, he, he was a Zen practitioner at Zen Mountain Monastery, Wayne Ernest. Uh, he actually was very close friends with Kenny Werner's agent. <laughs> so it was hilarious when I approached him about uh, bringing Kenny to, to West Shore. It's like, uh, it ended up Wayne was the one that picked Kenny up at the airport. <laughs> so it was just perfect, perfect. Uh, 
so that's just by way of a little background to, to my relationship with uh, with Kenny Werner. And uh, he's not only uh, one of our great jazz pianists, but he's also uh, had a huge impact in the realm of as a jazz educator. And it's that side of it where the interconnection with Zen practice really uh, picks up dramatically. Uh, he wrote a book uh, about 25 years ago titled Effortless Mastery. Uh, kind of, might say, modeled after the, the Taoist notion of effortless effort or Wu Wei. To be able to actually, for musicians, to be able to achieve a level of mastery without being stressed out all the time about trying to do everything just right, which we can relate to as a practitioner. So, and as I addressed throughout my, my Zen jazz talk, uh, that's kind of a key piece to our ability to live uh, a rewarding, spiritually uplifted life. And Kenny is very upfront about the role of spirituality in his practice, in his life. And in fact, uh, just before he came to Cleveland for that gig at West Shore Unitarian, the last time he had a piece in Downbeat that was titled Zen and the Art of Jazz. So it's like, thank you, Kenny. <laughs> Send this out. A little added promo for your concert here. But I think that did help boost the gate a little bit. But we had a really, really good turnout. I As I'm remembering, it was in the neighborhood of 80 people. And he just did a, a solo concert there. So, so that's Kenny Werner. And uh, his article in Downbeat is taken from a master class he did. He has a new uh, kind of a sequel out to Effortless Mastery. Uh, and uh, the title of, of the sequel is Becoming the Instrument, Lessons on Self-Mastery from Music to Life. And again, that was really what I, my Zen Jazz presentation was was rooted in is that this is about life this isn't just limited to, to musical artists or or athletes or anybody from any particular field of endeavor what he's talking about here applies to our practice our formal zen practice and our life more generally speaking as it is inspired, hopefully, by our Zen practice, you know, from time to time, it might happen. So I just want to kind of share uh, some sections from this workshop. And, and of course, 
take many pauses to to uh, kind of discuss these these issues. The opening of it uh, is something that we may be looking at this afternoon a bit more, time permitting, and uh, it's referencing the Saint Francis prayer. He, so he begins at the beginning of that prayer, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Uh, the St. Francis prayer points the way to the ultimate purpose of a human being. Not being the doer, but the instrument of the doer with the capital D, that higher power, shunyata, whatever name we want to give to that power. Wherever one comes, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, skip over that part and go on to the next part of, of the, of the St. Francis prayer. Where there is hatred, let me sow love, sow love. This action takes work. Sometimes we have to initiate the willingness, act, acting as if, or in the common Lingo, uh, fake it till we make it. Because we have this kind of ideal out there. We know that's what we should be doing, even though it's not really coming from a deep place yet. Uh, and then he says, but if I become the instrument of another power, then that conversion may be automatic. And here, hopefully we can relate that to our practice, that these lofty concepts that, uh, that are portrayed in, uh, in Buddhist teachings, like the Brahma Viharas of uh, uh, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy and equanimity, or the uh, perfections, beginning with generosity, running through uh, patience and effort, meditation, and ultimately prajna, wisdom. But these things, when we first begin studying them, they become kind of like these ideas. And they're, they're kind of planting seeds in that sense. But through the practice, as he says here, if I become the instrument of another power by this practice of no self, being able to get out of the way, then that conversion may be automatic. Then we, we can approach these lists like the Paramitas or the Brahma Viharas or the Eightfold Path. And suddenly, rather than becoming aspirational, which they serve that purpose, in a major way, but they can also be seen as descriptive of an enlightened life. They're no longer aspirational. It's just like an enlightened person kind of making a painting through these words of what that looks like. It looks like the four Brahma Viharas the six parameters, the eightfold path. And so on with any 
additional teachings, and there are plenty of them. They can be seen in these two ways. They can be seen as aspirational, or they can be seen as artistic works, kind of depicting what an awakened life looks like. What is that vision? Kind of like religious works of art. So art's relationship to, to religion, spirituality is obviously goes back to the beginnings of art, you might say. I mean, closely connected, very closely connected. If we weren't spiritual beings, perhaps we wouldn't be artistic beings. I think that the connection may go that deeply. But the title of, of this piece is the perfect instrument, perfection, the whole concept of, of the parameters, going beyond the perfect perfection of wisdom. And here it's looking at the perfect instrument. In Kenny's case, his relationship to the piano and his becoming one with the piano. In finding that perfection, therefore, always, and as he puts it here, perfection already exists. It's people who mess it up. <laughs> Us, our sense of self. This is where the connection with Zen practice is direct. And it's exactly the way we look at the perfections, the paramitas, is by self dropping out of the picture, we stop messing it up. We can be truly generous if it's the Donna paramita, truly virtuous if it's the virtue paramita, and so on. Truly wise, because there's no longer this sense of of self-involved. It's really just this manifestation, to use a term that came up uh, Thursday night, manifest being Kaz Tanahashi's preferred translation for what appears as a tame in our uh, translation that we use at the Heart Sutra, to manifest. So these perfections already exist. We simply, rather than attaining them, we manifest them when self gets out of the way. Of course, that's what I was uh, uh, trying to describe in my Zen jazz talk, is how a jazz musician, uh, exemplifies that in terms of their ability to just play at a very high level. I mean, there's mastery there, but it's, as Kenny puts it, effortless mastery. 
and it comes through. And because it's, it's reaching perfection, it's actually conjoined with it. It's boundless. It can go, it's free to go in any direction. I mean, that's when jazz is really cooking. That's the magical thing about it. It's not just the same thing, performance after performance after performance. It's always different. And he goes on to say, referencing this notion of the perfect instrument, he says the perfect instrument requires the physical, emotional, neurological, psychological, and spiritual components in a human being to be in alignment. All those elements are compromised by the world of thoughts. Dogen's non-thinking. And Dongshan's notion of, of attunement and how thoughts put us out of tune. Back to Kenny. Uh, we are not the players who play the instrument. We are the instruments who play the instrument. So the instrument playing itself. For our practice, we might see it as zazen doing zazen. Not me doing zazen or you doing zazen, but when we sit, it's zazen doing zazen. Think of it that way. Don't think about it too much. Just have that, <laughs> that notion and, and, uh, and see if that rings true. When, when, like a, a jazz musician who's who's really on the mark, when we're really on the mark in our zaza, does that resonate? And and we feel like the perfect instrument that's playing itself, and our notion of a separate self. Has, has dropped out. But as Kenny says, this in Zen lingo, we'd say the wholehearted way, requiring physical, emotional, neurological, psychological, spiritual components. They all come together. It's part of this grand attunement, allowing us to really realize our identity as the perfect instrument. In whatever it is we're doing. What makes the practice of Zazen kind of unique is because by its very nature, we can enter into it without this gaining mind. We're not doing anything. 
Although our mind, thought process can create notions that we're doing something, self-improvement. <laughs> so there is that, admittedly. And those thoughts will keep creeping in. But we just have to realize that that's kind of like Maya, <laughs> the temptress. Let that go. You already are the perfect instrument. You don't need to. There's nothing to attain. There's nothing to reach for. Or as Kenny puts it, we have to reprogram the mind to stay out of the way so we can receive. This is the, the, what, what happens when we're able to let go, open ourselves up wide, widely in our zaza. Now we, we're receiving, meeting each thing that arises. Not from the standpoint of what it can do for me, improve me in some way. Because I have an idea in my head of what good meditation should be like. And if I'm if it's meeting my my benchmark for that, no, no, it's good. That's the mind that needs to be let go of. The reprogramming is simply a letting go. So you might say it's kind of a, a, a wiping clean, <laughs> at least at this moment. It's not lobotomy zone, because <laughs> it's still there. We're not trying to clean it permanently. But we're trying to be able to go beyond, beyond that aspect of ourselves, which you know puts us in a straitjacket, and we can't go beyond. So by setting it aside and not going there at this time, what we're opening ourselves up to is the perfect instrument of all things, of shunyata, of the divine, the sacred, whatever term we want to use for. And the next section he gets into, I, I want to spend some time with relative to uh, formal Zen practice. Uh, it's its applicability to being a musician is obvious. He said, and he begins this by saying, first and foremost, it's the body that plays the instrument. And that's true for us in our practice. First and foremost, it's our body. Always, certainly in Zaza. So let's start there. You know, if we study Dogen's Fukan Zazengi, 
place when he talks about the practice of zazen, most of it is just these basics of of what you do with your body. Being in alignment, your body. Your nose and your navel. Sitting upright. How to posture your hands, the cosmic mudra. And then what happens? Isn't that dissimilar to a musician? We kind of have it simple because there there are less fewer keys to work with. <laughs> But but uh, a pianist like Kenny Werner, it becomes the the practice when you're first learning is to train the body to be able to play the keys in ways that that begin to resonate, become in tune. And then the more you do that, the more you practice, the more the the physical aspect to it kind of becomes just second nature. So that's the importance of practice, practice, practice. Sounds like Zaza. That's why we do these, we could call them, we could call them Zazen camps. <laughs> where kind of like a music camp where they're really just devoted to, to, to playing. You know? When I was uh, uh, learning to play the shakuhachi, I went to one of those all weekend, stayed at the place where it was taking, taking place. And accommodations for us there. And it was pretty, pretty incredible. And that's really what a Zazenkai or a Sashim boils down to, is it's like a, a, Zen, a Zen camp where we can really practice, devote ourselves to it. And that bodily aspect, that as soon as we, it's like sitting down at the piano, sitting down on our cushion. It's like we're ready to play the perfect instrument. But of course, it's not limited, as, as Dogen says in Fukan Zuzengi, to, to, to our position. It's not limited to just sitting. It's something we carry with us all the time. So all these other bodily things we do in the course of a day of practice, or even just a a short evening of practice on Thursdays. Those bodily components, the way we carry ourselves, are pretty essential. And we can feel that. So the way we gosh show, 
the way we walk, the way we hold our hands. These are just further testament to what, what Kenny describes is first and foremost, it's the body that plays the instrument and the difference that makes. So why are you Zen people so fussy about all that? <laughs> it seems so weird. That's hopefully to the extent that our practice carries that aspect with it, hopefully you get to experience that. That it does make a difference. And some teachers put a lot of emphasis on that. For good reason. Next, he talks about how uh, the mind enjoys the music. Behold, it beholds music. It becomes grateful for the music. One wants to cultivate a profound acceptance and love of whatever one plays. This is getting to live an awakened life. Enjoy the music. But prior to that, you have to behold the music. Be aware. See it as music, as the work of the perfect instrument. And then the sense of gratitude for the music, for your life, for this experience. That's to cultivate profound acceptance and love of whatever one plays. So as he then puts it, letting the body play and the mind enjoy opens a channel. Do you ever have that kind of a, a sense that a channel has been open for you when we're practicing? And the another advantage of the longer sessions of practice, why they play a pretty important role in our practice is to allow us to open such a channel where the body is playing with all these Zen forms, especially Zazen, Kinhin, Bowing. And the mind enjoys and that connection, connecti connectivity between body and mind starts to open a channel. 
and we can feel our practice deepening. Next point he makes is, is, is really, I think, uh, uh, something that we need to, to really grab our attention. He says, if criticizing and browbeating ourselves made us play better, then we'd all be virtuosos at whatever we did, because we all excel at that. <laughs> we can do that. If that was it, voila. We've got it then. But getting the conscious mind out of the way is what is, is essential. Because if you accept what wants to come out, what comes begins to flow. This sense of flowing rather than directing a flow, which is the way many of us tend to approach practice. It's how do I direct them? And that, that's a problem. It has a role to play in terms of learning the basic forms and things. Learn how to do, do things. But just as in music, once you've attained that capability, now, it's just playing. Keep. If Zen you, you find is your instrument, it may not be. That's okay. <laughs> you know, it's okay. But if it is, then really play. And do camps. Do camps with different leaders. Uh, avail yourself of different teachers. Musicians have primary teachers, but and that can can be pretty helpful too. But uh, I, I've had primary teachers, but especially earlier on, I mean, I wanted to practice with anybody I could, I could arrange it that was a major teacher, a revered teacher. I needed to, to spend time with them. Really practice with face to face, heart to heart. And I wouldn't have the practice 
my ability to play my instrument if I hadn't done that. So the role of teachers in Zen, and Dogen speaks real clearly about that. That's just like in music. And the importance, even in the most active of practices of quiet, quietude. And he uses the example of hitting a baseball requires a quiet body, less moving parts. <laughs> even though the final act involves physical activity, but in order to play that instrument, to do that, you have to have a quiet body, focused, not distracted. And to get there requires repetition and patience. And with that, getting the conscious mind out of the way then becomes essential. Stick to the baseball analogy. I mean, that's if somebody's in a slump, it becomes a psychological issue. They start thinking, <laughs> thinking, what do I need to do? So that's time to get your team psychotherapist in the mix <laughs> and work with them. She goes on to say, impatience after all is a tendency of the mind. So the psychological component of the perfect instrument is a mind empty of desire. <laughs> there we are, the second noble truth. The spiritual flavoring might be a mind full of gratitude. When the mind is full of gratitude, there's nothing to desire. Think of it, full of gratitude. Makes this moment full and complete. Nothing to strive for. To go through life where that's a dominant perspective that we bring with us. Playing our perfect instrument.
Well, definitely get that too. I think uh, I'm gonna break this off at this point then. Although I do, before I plug in the speaker and we open this up, I do want to comment. I told uh, Paul our dough on this morning uh, during the break that I uh, couldn't have picked a better second champion. Guidepost for the Hall of Pure Bliss. I mean, this, <laughs> this really nails it. By seeking appearances and sounds, one cannot truly find the way, the opening room. This thing about desire. By seeking, and even references sounds. This is what you're trying to, to accomplish. But that's not, not how we find the way. So, and, this, and then intimately conveying spiritual energy. This is playing our perfect instrument. And it requires great intimacy, the sense of oneness. Original light auspiciously appears, even though we weren't seeking it, trying to. In fact, if we if we seek it, we're moving away from it. Classic Zen teaching. But the original light auspiciously appears. We'll spend spend uh, uh, the next Zenkai looking at guideposts from the Hall of Pure Bliss. We haven't looked at that one before. All right, so I'm gonna bow out of this, plug in the speaker. Yeah. Uh, um, it came to mind for me is uh, I don't know whose theory or who who who, who said uh, to to achieve true mastery in something you need uh, ten thousand hours in, uh, in practice. Yeah, that's pretty bad. And then inside the little math and calculator, I kind of so if you average an hour is on a day, you only take twenty seven point four years. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and 
the other that, that kept popping my head is the, the <laughs> I always I identify with the phrase like inflation, probably because I, I toss and turn in my sleep, but like reaching back for a pillow in the night. Mm -hmm. and, uh, doing things effortlessly or without thought. Mm -hmm. uh, always pops in the head. So that's all common sense. Yeah. You just sort of to add on to your baseball analogy, one of the things I read a while ago, and I'm sure this carries over to other sports skills as well. You can't hit a baseball, at least not in the major leagues, with your conscious mind. Yeah. True. If you try and think about it, you'll miss every time. Good point. It has to be, you have to be in the flow of yeah. Exactly. That's why I struck out all the time. <laughs> Plus, you need 10,000 swings. <laughs> I might have reached. I might have got there. <laughs> uh, you perfectly striking out. <laughs> I did. Oh, I was just add. I think that when you're talking about forms and you're having a conversation, inviting the bell to ring as opposed to yeah. ringing the bell. Yeah. Oh, I'm doing it. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it is a musical instrument. So it's it's no different than, than picking up the saxophone. So you have that relate that intimate relationship where you know how how to approach and 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 uh invite it to sound so there is nothing forced it should sound seamless between the musician and the instrument creating the perfect instrument and and then you expand that into the hall it's being performed in and the audience and, and all of a sudden it just the per waves of perfection <laughs> going forth. Wasn't wasn't it? Um, well, there's also an effortlessness I think that goes along with zazen. As long as you're striving towards it, you're moving away from it. Mm -hmm. But then, wasn't it? I think it was Miles Davis who was super super hard on himself. He wanted to go back alone. That was Sunny Rollins. Sunny Rollins. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but the great line for him that a critic used was there, there were only two uh, uh, musicians that he ever competed with, and one of them was himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other one, of course, being John Coltrane. <laughs> so, Tom, I'm not, my, my point there was just the effort yeah. Yeah. needed, even if it's in Zazen. 
you got to do the work and the discipline that it takes. So, and you got to put in the work and do the discipline, right? In order for the effort to drop off eventually, or when you're performing, right? We don't have, we're not working towards a performance, but uh, well, the performances are life. Yeah, that's good. yeah. So it's not it. It shouldn't be seen as just sitting on the cushion. This is just one aspect of of uh, of of creating the the ability to to relate to our life in such a way that that we're awake and fully encountering. You know, all the aspects of our lives. So we're actually playing the perfect instrument regularly. And that is, is the uh, kind of I struggle here because it's not like like a, a goal or an objective, but when we manifest this practice, I mean that's kind of how that manifestation takes place. Is we are in tune, and it's our thinking mind that takes us out of tune. Now the thinking mind can enhance the attunement used in the proper way. Just like for a musician to study composition and then be able to go to work. Someone like uh, a Beethoven I've always thought was a good example because uh, here his deafness, I think uh, and some, I've heard others uh, far more knowledgeable about this than me, uh, point out that when he, he no longer heard what other uh, uh, contemporaneous work sounded like, it was very liberating. So he could go off and do a Ninth Symphony. Never been done before. <laughs> you know, have, a, have a choral section in, in a symphony. Would he have done that if he'd still been listening to all this other stuff? But yet, in, in his early, uh, you know, he was heavily impacted by people like Haydn and Mozart, his predecessors. And they kind of laid a foundation. He studied uh, all the techniques. But then to go beyond, that's when you, know, you, you acquire your techniques and now, you, the, the expression of creativity, which is kind of my Zen jazz style, is geared towards creativity. And from a Dharma standpoint, you know, I relate creativity to shunyata. Shunyata is creativity. If we look at that deeply, that's kind of part of this interdependence, the impermanence of all things. Creativity. 
So we get caught up with our thinking mind of wanting things to be just so, which is kind of like death. <laughs> You're killing it. Rather than being attuned to the create creativity that's all around us, and using names like Shunyata or the sacred. The sacred is creative. Yeah. Referenced in uh, Zen Jazz talk, uh, uh, a work by a, a theologian, a Christian theologian, at that, uh, about in the beginning, creativity, not God. Seeing God, the, what we talk about here about uh, the active piece, the, the Dharma is a verb, God is a verb, as, as he portrayed it. In the beginning, was creativity. Forget about some being, it was creativity. So that's our connection to in the beginning, which means it's kind of beginning. <laughs> Eternal. Creativity all the way. Otherwise, yeah. Or in musical terms, you're familiar with that. Something successful sells well, and they just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Or, or in the film business, the sequel, <laughs> they keep doing over and over again. Entertainment, well, that's death. Do people quit coming? Yeah. <laughs> and they go, oh, we milk that for always in. <laughs> What's something else that hasn't had a sequel yet? <laughs> Heaven forbid that there should be something truly original. That would be pretty risky. Who's going to invest in that? <laughs> oh, let's take uh, about a ten minute break and then we'll. Do a couple of shorter periods of zazen. They'll lead us up to lunch. May our intention equally penetrate every being and place with the true merit of Buddha's way. Being numberless, I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. A Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to become it.